You're listening to whatever you set your mind to. Why did I say that? Why did I know that? Why did I... Why am I... Why am I? Let's start with that. Who am I? I don't know. I don't know anything before I said that. What do I know? That's a question I should take some stock of. I'm going to leave you for a moment while I ponder this. Hold it steady. Mick's voice graveled over the radio, circumventing the empty vacuum between him and his co-worker. I am, Neve muttered for the third time in a row. It was hard to feel the antenna through the thick gloves of her spacesuit, but she was holding it as securely as she could while Mick fixed it back into place. Hold it steady. I am! They could both hear Jan's laughter over the radio as he monitored them from the space station. Okay, let go. See if it holds. It held. After a few little wobbles to test it, Mick declared the repair a success and started heading towards the airlock. Neve was close behind him, but she lingered on the side of the space station for just a moment. She turned around, turning her back to the station and Earth. Adrenaline surged through her body as the unending expanse of the universe loomed before her. The sun was behind her, and without that reference point, the nearly incomprehensible scale of the scene before her made Neve feel like she was falling, despite the absence of gravity to fall into. Her hands were locked around the hand grips that lined the space station's hull. She did this every time she went on a spacewalk, which wasn't all that often, but it still took all of her self-control to loosen her grasp on the hand grip. Logically, she knew she was safe. She was still tethered to the space station, so there was no chance of her falling off into space. But every natural human instinct screamed, stepping into the abyss, even as she took one hand off the grip entirely, the other hand next. She would only be floating free in space for a second, not free, she reminded herself. There was still the safety of the tether, before she returned back to the station and followed Mick to the airlock. But that second was always the most exhilarating and terrifying moment of her life. As soon as her other hand let go of the grip, all the hair on her body began to stand up. Prickles ran across her skin in waves as the electronic readouts in her suit died. Before she even had time to panic, a bright blue light enveloped her. She woke up to Jan's trying to wrestle her spacesuit off of her. Mick was removing his own gloves, suppressed panic evident in his movements. Neve? Neve, are you okay? Jans tapped her on the cheek as soon as he saw her open her eyes, trying to get her to respond. I'm still outside. She could see the blue light, could feel it swallowing her. She was looking at the stars that had watched her being consumed. No, you're on board the space station. Neve frowned and looked around her. White wall panels, cables, spacesuits, and the toilet door. It was the inside of the space station. But she was still outside back where the blue light had taken her. How do you feel? Jans asked, still trying to remove her suit, but less urgently now. Confused, Neve blinked slowly. You gave us quite a scare there, Nakomi, Mick said, finally removing one of his gloves and tossing it behind him. Instead of a satisfying thunk the gesture called for, the glove slowly twirled towards the ceiling. We couldn't find a pulse, and we couldn't get your suit off, Jans said slowly. He was pale, shaken, shaking. You doing okay, Nakomi? Any pain? No pain, Neve said slowly. She didn't feel any pain. She didn't feel anything much. 
She flexed her fingers inside her gloves. They were moving fine, but the sensations felt muted. Then why do you want to get this suit off? They all had basic medical training, but Diana Park, the only member of the little crew who had been asleep at the time of the incident, was the one who had a proper medical degree. As she looked Neve over, Jans caught her up on what had happened. She said she feels confused. All the electronics in her suit were fried, including the air systems. It was only a few minutes between when she was hit and getting her back inside and her helmet off. But could a lack of oxygen be what's making her confused? There would have been oxygen still in the suit, Park replied, while shining a light in and out of Neve's eyes. I'd say she's probably feeling confused from being knocked out by that suit malfunction, or whatever it was. I don't know what it was, Jans muttered. Static electricity that built up in the suit? One of the life support systems shorted out? I don't know, you're the engineer. Park placed a blood pressure monitor cuff around Neve's arm. The machine beeped and displayed error on its little screen. Oh, come on. I don't think it came from the suit, Neve said, her voice trance-like. Part of her mind was still outside, replaying the flash again and again. Granted, the faceplate of her suit offered little in the way of peripheral vision, but it seemed to Neve as if the light had come from all directions at once and surrounded her. The blood pressure cuff beeped error. I doubt it was some natural phenomenon, Jans countered. Otherwise, it probably would have hit the station, too. It must have been something localized to you, like the suit. I don't think it was the suit, Neve repeated. The cuff beeped. Park pulled it from Neve's arm and balled it up in frustration. I told them these electronic ones were no good, she lamented. She shook her head and leaned in closer to Neve, as if she was sharing a secret. Medical tools are all made for men, you know that? Little thing like you, no wonder it's not working. You probably need a child size. Neve nodded in agreement. They both also knew what living in zero gravity did to human physiology, the muscle loss and weird fluid distribution, among other things. That, combined with her small figure, was probably enough to confuse simple medical machines. So, am I all right? Well, Park shrugged helplessly. I couldn't find your pulse, but obviously you've got one. But I'm worried you have a faint heartbeat and low blood pressure, and I can't check it. How do you feel? Lightheaded? Dizzy? Short of breath? No, I feel fine. I feel good, actually. Neve wasn't lying. Now that the initial fogginess was starting to wear off, she was beginning to feel really great, energized. I want you to take it easy for the next couple of days, at least. See how you go. If you begin to feel even a little bit odd, let me know straight away. She frowned apologetically. Back on Earth, I would send you to a hospital with functioning equipment, but... Neve gave a reassuring smile. It's okay. I don't think I need it. When Neve woke up, strapped in her sleeping bag in her little sleep station, the first thing she noticed was the lines. There were multicolored, translucent lines running over and through everything. When she moved, a flurry of lines flowed over and around her body. She could see the lines following the flow of her veins and arteries under her dark skin. There were stronger lines clustered around everything electronic. Emerging from her sleep station, Neve could see the lines running through the walls of the space station, interconnecting just about everything inside the station. Neve looked through one of the windows on the side of the space station. The station had lines connecting it to Earth. Earth had lines connecting it to the sun. All of the bodies in the solar system were reaching out to each other with the ethereal tendrils. 
There were also lines from every object she could see trailing out in the same direction to something far beyond her range of vision. Countless billions of paths leaning towards the same destination, or flowing from the same source. In the days following the incident, as far as days can be measured while orbiting the Earth, Neve found her memories becoming sharper. Memories would come unbidden into her mind's eye, playing back like a high-definition recording. There was none of the fuzziness or subjectivity of a regular memory. It was like reliving those moments exactly as they had first happened. The memories were coming in a reverse chronological order. First were the memories of her living on the space station, then the training to go up, moving backwards through a timeline of her life. Sometimes the memories were something significant or interesting, but more often than not, they were completely mundane. She relived being stuck in traffic too many times to count. In just over a week, Neve remembered her own birth. So, I seem to know that while I was away, my vacancy was filled by Amanda Nevada DeMel performing part one of Nakomi, which was written by Amaf Kiff. I know that the next time I leave, the absence will be marked by a piece by Jack DeWald before part two resumes. I don't understand any of these things, yet I know them. These things simply occur to me without any explanation. Indeed, it is the only way I seem to experience anything since I cannot see or hear or feel anything but my own thoughts. I don't even experience these things that I know you experience. I only have a space in which to think and to be occurred to. Another such space is going to occur any moment now. Human being. Lions, eagles, quail, you horned deer, you wild geese, you spiders, and you wordless fish who swim beneath the wave. Starfish, stars in heaven, so distant the human eye cannot perceive them. All living things, all, all, all. All living things have ended their allotted rounds and are no more. For more than a thousand centuries, the earth has been lifeless. No single living creature yet remains. And the weary moon in heaven lights her lamp in vain. The cranes in their meadows awake no more. Their cries are silent. The flight of the beetles is stilled. All is cold, cold, cold. All is empty, empty. I've had psychology lectures shorter terror, than this. Terror, Maybe he's building terror. something? The bodies of all living beings have returned unto dust, and eternal matter has reduced them to stone, to water, to cloud. All the souls of the universe have been melded into one, and I am that universal soul. I contain them all. Alexander the Great, Caesar, Shakespeare, Napoleon, the loneliest worm in the garden. In me, the spirit of humanity is distilled with the animal instinct. Okay, my instincts are telling me this is going nowhere. I remember it all, all, all. I want this to end, end, end! Every life that has ever lived lives once more within me, part of myself. Play him off, play him off. 
I am alone. Once every hundred years, I open my mouth to speak, and my voice resounds, mournful in this wasteland. Well, they all can't be winners, can they? But I can assure you that our next performer will have a more lively act lined up for us. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Okay. So there's this girl who's struggled with a learning disability her whole life. But she's smart, she perseveres, she works hard. She's in her third year of college and she's got a big biochem career coming up. And she's just trying to beat the prerequisite courses and get her degree in time for the job she's got lined up. So it's her finals for her biochem course and she's feeling confident. So goddamn confident. It's just a scantron. Girl does her usual routine, goes through the test packet, hand-marking her answers. Then, when she's done, she takes out a Ticonderoga pencil and gets to work on filling the Scantron in. But tragedy strikes. She fucks up the B's and the D's because they're lowercase and she's dyslexic. She doesn't realize... Her results come in, she's failed the final, it set her back at least a semester, she hates herself, she's ruined, she can't sleep, she starts to question My her voice faith, resounds, she stays up all night wondering, wasteland, and no one hears me, even you, pale fires, you cannot hear me, you were born before the mornings in the muddy swamp, you wander till dawn without thought, without direction, without any shudder of life, for fear you may endanger life. Our apologies for the interruption. There's things should be back to normal. It's okay. Now, where was I? Right, so, this girl, she spends all this time and energy on the test. She has to read it real close, real slow, so she doesn't misread it and mess it all up. It's a struggle, and she tries her hardest. But by the time she's read the test and found the answers, she barely has time to fill in the bubbles, and she's exhausted from the exertion, and she screws up. She's miserable. She can't get real rest. She feels like she's ruined her career. Her faith in a higher power wavers. She's up all night for fear you may endanger life. The eternal father of eternal matter, the demon, changes you moment by moment oh, as he changes God, the rocks and the water. More like he performance fart, am I right? Unceasingly. I don't like In this. Nobody likes this. It's, it's terrible. It's overwrought. It's melodrama. The, the delivery puts you to sleep. No, I mean, I'm having a really bad time. I am like a prisoner thrown into a deep, empty well. I have no sense of where I am or what awaits me. Yet I know that... Our most sincere apologies for this misleading and undesirable performance. You can stop by the register to receive a refund on your cover charge, if applicable. We'll be closing early for the evening. I'm getting out of here, man. See you later. Yeah, a bit of a weird night, huh? Remember, tip your servers, and yeah, I know that victory will at last be mine in the savage, ceaseless struggle with the demon, the source of all material impulses. And, and then, then matter and soul will join in beautiful harmony, but that moment will come slowly, after a long procession of centuries. When, when the, the moon, moon, the bright star Sirius, the earth, earth itself, have all returned to dust. And until that moment, all is horror. Horror. See? He approaches! My mighty enemy, the demon! 
I see his terrible crimson eyes. I... He mourns the absence of humanity. I know that you hear music. That you've been hearing music as long as I can remember. But did you know that it was written by... I didn't until this moment. I can't hear it, of course. I can't remember hearing anything, but I can't remember past very many minutes ago. Another thought. My existence was furnished by Peter Wood? That doesn't seem consistent with anything I've experienced, and yet it's perfectly consistent with everything I've been thinking. Or that has been thought for me. These thoughts are mine, but not mine. I, I have a working theory about who I am. I believe I exist to tell you things, and you exist to be told things. That's not a thought I was given, it's a thought I arrived at, I think. I hope to know more at some time in the near future. How are you feeling? Jans asked her, just like he had every time he saw her since the incident. Neve tried not to feel irritated with him. She had been feeling increasingly distant towards her fellow astronauts. It wasn't that she disliked them, but she felt indifferent. She didn't need them. Meanwhile, they kept asking her to do things, kept pestering her for attention. He was just trying to be helpful, Neve reminded herself. She tried to feel some guilt over her irritation. Fine. Neve looked over at Park, who was pressing the cut on the side of her thumb closed. The little sphere of blood drifted past Park's face. Park moved into the room. Neve looked at where Park had just been positioned. Park wasn't there, hadn't been there. Park's fingers were undamaged and fiddling carelessly with the blood pressure monitor. How's my favorite patient? Park asked, floating towards the space she hadn't just been in. Oh, I feel fine. You can all stop worrying. Oh, shit! Park hissed. While fiddling with the blood pressure monitor, she had managed to dig one of the plastic corners of the cuff into the side of her thumb. Blood welled up around the cut and clung on in a half-sphere until a twitch from Park's hand dislodged it. They watched in fascination as the red blob wavered through the air. For a moment, it twisted and wavered, then it snapped back into a sphere. Before any more blood escaped, Park pressed the cut on the side of her thumb closed. The little sphere of blood drifted past Park's face and the woman reached out with her other hand and trapped it before the little floating biohazard could escape. Neve tried not to look unsettled while Park and Jans went on as if everything was normal. After that, the flashes of the future became just as regular as the flashes of the past and the shimmering lines that stretched through reality like a net. Jans had noticed the changes in her and was worried about mental illness. Mick thought the whole thing was being blown out of proportion. Neve calculated the best approach to the situation as she watched the discussion. Jans wanted to send her back to Earth. Mick was opposed. Park was on the fence, and Park was the one who Neve needed to convince. Which she would. Look, I'm not physically hurt, Neve interrupted. I know I haven't been acting quite like myself since that light hit me, but I'm still emotionally and mentally stable. Now think how much time and money it's going to take to get me back to Earth ahead of schedule. Think how pissed everyone at Control is going to be when I get back and there's nothing medically wrong with me. Jansen Park shared a frown. They knew Neve was right. Monetary cost was a massive factor with every decision, regardless of what that decision was. 
Even if there was something wrong with her, it wasn't wrong enough to justify the immense cost of getting her back to Earth. See? She's fine, Mick said. He flashed a thumbs up and, in the corner of her vision, Neve watched a flurry of little energy lines pass through and around his hands. We'll wait a week, Neve reasoned. If I start getting worse, we'll reconsider. But in the meantime, it might go away on its own. Everything she had said was true, but that wasn't the reason she wanted to stay on the station. The reason she wanted to stay on the station was the instinct tugging on her chest that was telling her to stay in space. One week, Jansus agreed sternly. Go deeper into space. The memories weren't really memories anymore. They had been unnaturally sharp memories, but memories all the same. However, something was changing. Neve could feel her consciousness expanding backwards through those vivid memories. Her thoughts were running through her own history, utilizing the mental capacity of her past selves. She existed then, and she existed now, and she existed in every moment in between, simultaneously. She was a human supercomputer. She could understand things that would have been entirely out of her grasp a mere week ago. Gradually, even the seemingly incomprehensible laws of reality became apparent to her. So when Mick told them that the air regulators were on the fritz, Neve understood exactly what was wrong. Mick explained that according to the monitors, they were using only three quarters of the oxygen they were supposed to be. Which, Mick explained with a snort, obviously wasn't possible. So the air regulators were pumping too much oxygen into the cabin, and until he could fix it, they needed to watch each other for any side effects. Sitting and listening to the other three breathe and sigh and sniff, Neve kept the real answer to herself. Neve contemplated hijacking the entire space station. It wouldn't have been difficult. Touchscreen computers, like the one that plotted the orbital path of the space station, had been ignoring her completely for a full month, but now Neve knew how to make machines cooperate. The energy lines that crowded her vision weren't just decorative. She could direct them. She could reprogram the flight path or even manipulate the thrusters of the space station directly. But something unfamiliar and human twisted in her chest. She might have felt indifference to the astronauts, but she didn't want to hurt or kill them either. And her intended journey would kill them, when they ran out of food or air or sanity long before she reached her destination. She would just have to steal a spacesuit and go by herself. It was just a matter of waiting for the rest of the crew to be busy. Neve snapped out of the trance that she now slipped into instead of sleeping. She had figured it out. She didn't need to sleep. She didn't need the suit. She didn't need to wait. It was time to go. Neve unlocked the airlock with a careless gesture and stepped inside, then locked it again. It was easy to keep the door sealed, even as Jans tried to disengage the decompression cycle. He shouted and hammered on the metal door, insisting that she could have or do anything she wanted, if she would please just come back. Please don't do this. It's all right, Jans. Even though they couldn't see each other through the thickly insulated airlock door, and he certainly couldn't hear her voice over his own animalistic fear of mortality, she willed him to listen to her. Don't you see? The machines understood from day one. I'm not really here. That's why none of you could find my pulse. That's why I haven't been breathing for weeks. The machines understood, and now I do too. The outer door opened, and Neve fell into a canvas of darkness and stars. She could see Jans at one of the circular windows, his hands pressed against the glass, his expression set in horror. She gave him a reassuring smile and a wave, 
Then she began her long journey, space dust and starlight brushing against her bare face. The closer she got, the further out her consciousness reached. She was existing through her entire past and most of her future simultaneously now. Her mind had started spreading out across physical space, too. Her physical body was all but dismissed as her mind spread awareness first across the solar system, then the galaxy, then the neighboring galaxies. She could see everything happening simultaneously, could see asteroids and moons and planets and stars cycling like gears in a beautiful cosmic machine. She followed the ethereal lines to her destination, the center of the universe. There lay a black hole. It was unmistakable when she saw it, light and matter and energy pouring into it, like water into a chasm, home. When its gravity caught her, she didn't resist. When her body was crushed, her mind was released in a bang. I finally understand, she thought before all concept of linear time was annihilated. She was the black hole. She always had been. She always would be. She was the point from which the universe had poured. She was the center and the machine. Her mind reached out across all of the universe, and she saw it, and made it possible. Her consciousness passed through every atom and every star. She had always existed. And she needed to make sure that she would always exist. She reached out through her countless stars, each of which she knew in its entirety, toward a single little planet. She saw the first life, saw the first animals, saw humans, saw the ancestors, saw the girl, saw the woman letting go of the space station for just a second, and reached out across time and space with a single flash of brilliant blue light to ensure her own existence. I know what I am now. I am everything. The sum total of the universe consists of me. That's what I must conclude from my distinct lack of surroundings. I am also a tiny bit mad, because any mind in such isolation must go mad. In my case, I convinced myself there was a podcast I was narrating. But why should a thing like whatever you set your mind to exist without a Seth Aaron Hirschman of Whacked Productions to create and produce it, with a distinct lack of Jamie Atchison to portray the actor, a dearth of Seth Aaron Hirschman and Anna Norum Gross to voice the hecklers, a severe shortage of Emily Platner to be the manager, a positive absence of an Alana Ginsberg performing as the comedian? There is, of course, only me. Me and my insanity. But now that I know that I'm insane, I can get better. I know that these thoughts that invade my mind are delusions, and now I can ignore them. I don't know much, and yet I know everything. For everything is me. Now that I understand, I only have one more question. What will happen to you when I stop imagining you? <laughs>